0: Christmas for me, is an all-year process. Uh, it begins sometime in February when I sit down with the church calendar and begin to play with what kind of theme would God want us to focus on as we look to the coming of the Christ. Um, and then I have another a moment or two in June and July as we prepare for our Christmas and July celebration. And then, when I get to September, no later than October, I am full throttle. Just Christmas. I know I'm pulling everything else together as I go along, but I've got my mind on Christmas from that point forward. Uh, We have our green service. We have that devotional booklet that we put together. We have all the preparation for Advent. It starts early for me. And anytime somebody hands me a Christmas cookie, it's suddenly Christmas, no matter what day of the year it is. Now... We talk about that because that's us. But God, God is he's not like us at all. He's totally other when it comes to preparing. You see, he's not bound by time. He's not bound by the unfolding of events. He doesn't ever become aware of. He just knows. God is. We, we know that. God is. And God has always been. And because he's always been, he has always known. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about that, and I don't think about it in big time periods, because it really messes with my head, because there's so little that I know in any given moment, and even some of that's kind of sketchy, but as we come to the Scriptures, for us, written by God, we find that there's this unfolding story Begins with God and it ends with Him. And I assume that that whole unfolding is for you and me. Or maybe it's about you and me. This experiencing of daily life moment by moment as it happens to us. Now, of course, we can only look at the story as it unfolds in time and space. And over here on this one side, there's, there's a line, it's called Creation. And that's as far back as we can go. And on the other side, over here, there's Christ's return and the establishing of his kingdom. And that's as far as we can go with history. And beyond, on either side, if you were to extend that timeline, it just drops off into something that we just have no capability of fathoming. Because we don't know what it's like to just be. Because we're always in the moment. Or this moment or that moment. Now, most of us know our story. We have a birth narrative in our early years. And probably for most of us, that was told to us. I remember as I aged and even as I was an adult going home visiting with my parents, my mom would tell me more about my birth narrative. I was a problem child from the very beginning. Um, I had my mother in the hospital on April 1st. That was my first joke. And I came home eating solid food. Milk wasn't enough. And I've been eating solid food ever since. But, you know, they told me all of these stories. They told me about my hair. They used to call me bum because that's what I looked like. It didn't matter what they did to my hair. And so, we learn about that part of our history because it's told to us. But the rest of our story, we experience in time and space. We live the moments of our lives and we remember them and we can piece together our story. Now, the other end of our story, well, that's yeah, that's the end of the story. Now, along the way, we recognize that we are part of a larger story. We would call it history. And it's everything from creation to the end of time. And we're part of that. And we were forced to study that when we went to school. And then some of us went on and studied it on purpose in college so that we could teach other people about history. But there's in that this thin thread goes through history, and it's our faith history. And much of that we learn from the scriptures or people who know the scriptures teach it to us. Now, what I'd like to do first as we get going here is I'd like to give you an outline of history from the beginning of the beginning until the end of the end. And so, here's how I see history unfolding. First, there is God, and just God, and only God. There's there's No time frame, um, because he is. And he's outside of time. So anything that we think of time doesn't apply to him when we say in the beginning God. Because there is a moment, and there wasn't a moment until he said there was, It is what we call creation. God spoke. And the events of those first six days, talk time, were God's act of creation. And then there's a seventh day. Uh, The Sabbath was a day of rest. And at that moment, space and place existed where it hadn't before, because before that it was just God. And at the same time, God started the clock, So space and place and time began with God speaking it into existence. And then we have the fall. Adam and Eve, the serpent and God. And as we think about the fall, there was that tasty morsel, whatever that fruit was, that they ate. And then there was crime identified and punishment was exacted. And in that same moment, there was the promise of a deliverer. And then from that point forward, history, what you and I would call history, begins to play out over the years, the centuries, the millennia. There is the populating of the planet. There is the propagation of sin. There are the prophetic warnings. There are the promises fulfilled in the manger. There is peace on earth. There is peace repeatedly compromised. And this is our experience of history. And there is the kingdom come at just the right time. And and I like to think of it as coming twice. First it came back then when Jesus arrived and he lived and he died and he rose and he ascended. And his kingdom is unraveling or unfolding, if you will, through our lives, through our efforts, empowered by his spirit. But there is the coming of his kingdom in its full power and its full glory. And we look forward to that. And that time Jesus returns, righteousness is restored at every level, and heaven is open and mansions for everyone. And then eternity resumes. The clock stops ticking. Time is no longer a concern. And there is a kind of now, forever and ever. Because the clock isn't ticking. And again, I say, have to with your head, Because we can't fathom that. Because it doesn't matter how hard you try. And I've talked to a lot of people since I've begun thinking about this thing. No one can just be. Just try it. I'll give you a few seconds. Just sit there and just try to be. And if you can't have, if your mind doesn't wander someplace, please stand up. We'll get a doctor in here to take care of you. You see, we, we can't do that. Now, this whole outline of history, we can read this in the Bible. And I'm going to just give you a couple of verses at the beginning and the end. In Genesis 1, verse 1, we start reading In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be. And that's the beginning. And then in Revelation twenty one, beginning in verse one, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth, and passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And between these two passages, sandwiched between these two markers in time, is all of time. Between these two markers is all of history. All of the things that you and I and those who came before us and those who will come after us will experience. And there's a lot more detail in the outline than just the pieces I identified, but I tried to capture the big themes. In the beginning, God. In the end, you and me with God. Now, for a few moments, this morning, what I'd like to do is unpack what I'm calling the, the Christmas plan. I don't know. Um, I like to plan things. I like to expect things and then deal with them and then rise up. And then there's some people... She just likes to go and have adventures, and it's okay. But as we look at this plan, there is an in the beginning, there's you and me, and then there's you and me with God forever. And so the plan for Christmas as authored by God, at least as I read it in Scripture, is woven into the fabric of human history. You and I are part of this plan, and it's intentional. We didn't accidentally stumble into it. We were wired for And this story, this plan, responds to our mess with the wonder of his promise. Now, the essence of the plan, I see four parts. You can see me after and tell me you see eight parts, but we'll go with four this morning. Makes for a shorter sermon. Are you okay with that? Yeah, okay. I thought so. So first we have our mess, then we have his promise, then his gift, and our response. So, these four, I'm going to call them moments in time, flesh out God's plan for Christmas. The the corporate time history for everyone. And at the same time, it's a personal history because ours overlaps the corporate, which overlaps his plan. So, if you're listening, you're listening for three things What is God doing in the big picture? What is God doing in the specificness of my sin and Christmas? And what is he doing in my life? Can we do three things at one time? Okay. Pick one of them and focus on that. Uh, First, our mess. Our mess involves the first sin in Eden. And I know you're thinking, but Adam and Eve did that. They did. But here's the problem. Based on what we know about humanity, if you had been there instead of them, we'd be reading about you having bitten that first fruit. And it also involves, as so where it becomes personal, our choosing to sin every day. We choose that. It doesn't accidentally happen to us. We choose to sin. The second moment is his promise. His promise offers an introduction to grace. As we unpack the story, he's unveiling this concept of grace. It's an unfolding, and it's also not just for everyone, it's for you. A personal grace. And then his gift. His gift is open. And it is a promised substitute that we read about through the whole Old Testament that at a moment, in that event, became a baby. His son. Given for you and me. And then finally, what is our response? What should our response be? Trusting in the cross. Trusting in Jesus. Beginning to live a faith. So look at, let's look at these four moments. First is our mess, sin. Our mess is all about our sin. In Genesis we read, and I'm just pulling out some of the phrases, and you'll know the context. But you must not eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. They ate from the tree, the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and they were killed. God had said, do not eat. It was a pretty clear statement. I don't care which language you read it in, which translation, it sounds like don't eat the fruit. And yet, Adam and Eve both chose to eat. And there's this huge argument over whether Eve ate it, and then she tricked her husband. No. The text says he was right there for the temptation and the eating, and he ate with them. They chose to eat. And because they chose to eat, death entered into the human experience for all of humanity and for you and me. And it compromises our relationship with God. It's not just about me being a sinner, it's about me damaging my relationship with God through Adam and Eve and through my own personal choices. But we find in the midst of this, that God's response is flavored with grace. And you've heard me say it before, God's First and best response to every sin is grace. And started with it. We read Genesis 3, verse 15. And this is God talking to Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, in our first reading, and that doesn't seem like a good thing a lot of bruising, a lot of crushing but woven into God's punishment. This discord in relationships is the promise of hope for a resolution to the conflict. Satan's head will be crushed. His influence will be ended. There will be a point where the problem of sin and death will end. Now, unfortunately for us at this point, sin still stalks you and me as a wild animal looking for gain. And too often, we allow, and it gains entrance into our lives, and it establishes footholds in our daily lives. We are cursed with physical death, and before that, many of us sick and get frail, and then we die. And we find that sin is a daily struggle, unless we just give up and give in, and then it's not a struggle, we just call it our lives. But it's a battle for us. In Genesis 3, 3.15, holds that mess is sin, cause, and continuing on in our daily lives, while verse 315 continues to point us forward to a time where that will end. Which leads us to the second moment, his promise, grace. Grace into the moments of our struggle. Again, Genesis 3.15, we read, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God has highlighted the impact of sin, the ongoing hostility between Satan and man, between everyone that serves Satan and everyone that follows the line of man. And this battle rages. It is Satan hunting for us because he wants to take us out of the game and especially those of us who have hooked in with Jesus and allow His Spirit to live with us, He finds great joy in causing us to stumble and fall. And every one that He takes out breaks God's heart because it's a father's heart father. he and aches for every child that is lost. He is our great lover. He is wounded when Satan wins with one of us. But God from this vantage point of 315, looks thousands of years forward, introduces, explains the solution to sin. A child will be born, born of a woman related to Eve. He will engage Satan in battle. He will be wounded in that battle, but he will destroy Satan. we'll talk about that at Easter. So the plan for Christmas is introduced in these first two moments that we look at the plan of Christmas. Punishment and promise are woven together. And this very first sin, at the moment of that sin, at the moment of its being punished, God breathes the first words about Christmas. The word theologians use is proto-evangelium. Can you say that with me? Proto-evangelium. Try it again. Proto-evangelium. You're now theologians. Proto-evangelium just means first gospel. It is the first telling of the gospel. This verse, Genesis 3:15, is the first telling. If you have access to a Thompson Chain reference Bible, they haven't been around in the news recently, but they used to be a hot item. If you have one, turn to Genesis 3.15 There, after the verse, will be a little number. It'll take you to the margin, which will give you another verse. You go to that verse, and it'll give you the second mention of the gospel. And next to that will be a number, and in the margin, it'll give you, and it'll track all the way through the Bible. You can read all the verses that have to do with the gospel. It's a beautiful thing to do. It feels like it takes forever. I've done it a couple times. Try it sometimes. But this, right here at the beginning, with the first sin, we have the announcement. And because God's first response to sin is grace, it makes sense that it would be. Anticipating Christmas, anticipating Jesus in the flesh, revealing God, this is what grace looks like. And you and I can duplicate that every time we get to be with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and we get to talk to them about Jesus. So let's recap. Our mess. Our mess is about our sin, my sin. And his promise, grace. God's grace offers hope. So there's a problem, and there's hope for a resolution, which leads us to the third moment, his gift. Now listen to one of his prophetic offerings that unfolds this child of the woman. Isaiah chapter 9, For to us this child is born, To us the Son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Beyond the line where the clock shuts off, his kingdom will still continue." The seal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. God is excited about the possibility, the reality of you and me and Him forever without sin, complicating and compromising our relationships. The seal of the Lord will make sure this happens. And there are people in the church. In every time period that have been concerned, oh, the church is going to be wiped out. Oh, everybody's against the church. It's okay because God's for the church. He's for you and He's for me. We should be excited. We should get caught up in the zeal of the Lord. God has first spoken of Jesus in Eden. And Isaiah unfolded some more truths about this individual the kind of king he would be, the kind of ruler he would be, the kind of reign that he would hold over his people and over time and space and forever and ever. Isaiah gives us a small taste of hope. Now Isaiah, as he was speaking, as he was writing, as he was prophesying, he did so during a time when Isaiah, or the nation of Israel was being pummeled By these nations around them, they would come in and destroy everything. And they would leave, and the people would rebuild, and the people would get destroyed again. And into their discouragement, at this time when Isaiah was prophesying, he spoke words of hope. Don't look at what's around you. Look at what you hear the Lord offering. In these same words are lifted out of the Old Testament. They're brought into the New Testament, into the story of Jesus, and they're for you and me. And as we look around us and we think, oh, it's getting worse and worse. It's okay. Because we have the promise of these words. We too are being pummeled by Satan and by his minions. We get anxious under the weight of sin and death, but God is breathing his words of hope into our hearts. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father. The one who will establish this peace is the one who established everything. Reason for us to The Apostle John describes Jesus. He used different words. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh. God, the Spirit, who has always been who is everywhere present, and there is no place where he's not, even places that are not places, if you will. The Word became flesh, one of us, and made his dwelling among us. He became somebody in the neighborhood. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace, full of truth. The Word is Isaiah's child, son, leader. The promised one, none other than God's only Son, Jesus. The proto-evangelium, come to earth in flesh. Genesis 3.15, I will make it happen. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it happened. His hope for eternity with Him and Father. And so the plan for Christmas was birthed in the shadow of sin, Something that good, that pure, that holy was birthed in the shadow of sin, in the shadow of the first sin, in the shadow of all the corporate sin of everyone that will ever live by the time God wraps up history. And it is birthed with the promise of hope in the shape of a little baby. Hope, born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, a feeding frog, adored by shepherds, and nations. God became one of us that we might become one. Recap. Our mess. Sin. Our mess is all about our sin. His promise, grace. Grace offers hope. And His gift, His Son, our substitute, which leaves us, or hopefully could leave us, wondering what should we do now that we have this? Imagine Christmas, imagined and designed by God before time, has unfolded over time and before us, and all that remains is for us to accept God's yes. gift, which is the fourth moment, our response. Now, there's a funny thing about gifts. Some of them are ties. Who wants a tie? Some of them are socks. Who needs another pair of socks? Some of them come from people we know what's going to be in there? right and are not going to watch but gifts are gifts. And even well intended gifts, gifts that might perfectly fit and perfectly satisfy, sometimes fall on the ground unless they are actually received and opened and enjoyed. And the same is true for the gift of life that's offered by God. Promised back in Genesis three fifteen in response to sin, in response to our sin, in response to our brokenness. You now many people, perhaps most people, are aware of the Christmas season. I wouldn't say all, because running down that there's there, somebody. And then out of that large group are many people who understand the roots for Christmas. But there are fewer people that understand that Christmas demands a response, not a credit card that Christmas demands a response. The Apostle John wrote, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of Now our response is to receive Jesus. And when we do, we get to well, we were alive before we were Breathing, sleeping, eating. But when we receive Jesus, we become alive. Now, the thing is, not all who know about Jesus have actually received Jesus or have believed in his name. To receive Jesus is to welcome Jesus, to accept Jesus, to acknowledge him as Savior and Lord, to receive in an instant a lifetime of relationship with him. Now, too many people hear about Jesus, decide they like the idea of Jesus, they even embrace the narrative about Jesus, but not the life and lifestyle that he intends for us. They stop short of the new life. And perhaps you've talked to somebody like that. Oh, my mom brought me to church this Sunday after I was born. I have never missed church. I am definitely going to heaven. You need to lean in and say, but what about Jesus? Because there's nothing in the Scriptures that adds church attendance with eternal life. It's this receiving and believing and embracing the Christ for ourselves. To receive Jesus is to open our lives to God. It's to say, this is what I've got. And get your help. To believe in his name is to believe in Jesus as Jesus, God's Son. That is in Jesus, the life changer. We have to own that. It's not part of the package that comes with church. You can have that relationship with Jesus without a church building without a church family, but God wants us to know that we have a relationship with Jesus first. And then we start unfolding the life that He has for us, which should include a group of believers. Because we can't do this thing alone. We're never saved for me. We are saved for me. We're always saved into the body. So the bottom line is that a lot of people, a lot more people like the idea of Jesus than want his expectations for them taking place in their lives. God's plan for Christmas anticipated men and women, boys and girls, choosing a new kind of life that would look like his kind of life. And it began with receiving and believing and beginning to faith. A life-changing response to Jesus isn't content with the idea of heaven. It's committed to creating heaven on earth through their lives. So the response by you and me to receive Jesus and to believe in Jesus' Savior is to live into God's Christmas plan that, by the way, was crying to us only humans needed to be redeemed. And we are declared to be God's children, each one of us chosen and adopted. I wonder sometimes when my mom was thinking about me, wonders, what did I do to get him? God's never said that about me. He knew me more intimately than my mom did. And he said, Jesus. the same thing about each one of you who have believed and received. And as his children, we have access to everything that he has to offer. We have access to forgiveness a fresh start. He continues our relationship on the other side of confession as if that never happened. We're not capable of doing that. We remember stuff, and we save it for when we need it, to use it. God never uses it once it's confessed. If you go to them having done the same thing and you say, Lord, I've sinned again, he says, Again, because he meets us and each sin new and fresh. He gives us cleansing, a brand new soul. He starts us over again with his life. He gives us new life. Wherein we're capable of realizing his ideals. In the moment of our daily lives, He gives us love, deep, abiding, life-changing love. Life. We don't have a word that quite captures what God means when He says He loves. We get everlasting life. Our life begins and ends in time, but in Christ it never Eternal life. So today, this first Sunday of Advent, Advent, I'm asking you to consider God's plan for Christmas. Have you owned your mess? Have you complained, Lord, I have sinned. I sinned. It is that confession that begins the conversation that leads to the opening of our hearts to God's cleansing. He doesn't force that on any one of us. We have to open the doors with our confession. And he moves right He's really good. And he starts moving the furniture around in the oh. you owned your mess. Have you considered God's promise? I will provide the cleansing and the healing, but you have to look at my gift and you have to receive my gift, Jesus Savior. That's, that's there. It's all together. The promise and the realization of the gift and owning that gift. I'm a mess, I want what you've offered. And it leads us to our response. I've heard responses that sound like, oh, that's a nice story." I've heard responses that sound like, oh, my nephew, he needs that. You ought to meet my nephew. Or maybe we could say things like, I need help the sense out of my life. i really I feel stuck in the quicksand of sin holding it. Those are the healthiest things we could be saying. Jesus, I need you to do in me what I feel to do. So the question today is, what have you been doing with the Christian plan, the unfolding of the Christmas story? Can you see you in the story? The plan, our mess, sin, our mess is all about our sin. His promise, grace, God offers hope, and His gift is His Son, our substitute, Jesus' Savior, And our response to receive and to believe. My friends, this year, let's not settle for a commercial Christmas. Let's not buy into a feel-good Christmas. Instead, let's fully embrace, fully live out this whole life. I've got it for you from God.